Um, last time I, I spoke, I spoke on, uh, shared a dream that I had. Does anyone remember the dream that I shared? Um, I'll just quickly retell it um, as fast as I can. So I have this dream before I'm speaking um, in the week, in that week leading up. And it's a dream of, um, I'm, I'm talking with the McGraths. So my sister Sarah and Ben were in this house and I'm talking with them. And I'm talking about this discovery that been, had been made. I'm saying to them, hey guys, did you hear? There's been discovery of these deep holes in the ocean. The deepest holes in the world have been discovered. And they're like, oh wow. I'm like, yeah, and guess who, guess who discovered them? And they're like, who? I'm like, Napoleon. Oh, I think they were telling me, it was Napoleon. Napoleon's discovered them. I'm like, Napoleon? Napoleon's dead, man. Like, you know, he's the, he's the old French um, conquest. I don't know what you call him. But I'm like, man, he's long gone. Can't be him. And then I think it was Ben was like, nah, man, Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> and I'm like, Napoleon Dynamite. And if anyone's seen the movie Napoleon Dynamite, it's just the stupidest movie that's ever been produced, right? And, um, but I remember in that moment feeling this great sense of awe and, and what I would call a holy terror or the, what the Bible says, the fear of the Lord. I remember sensing it deep within me, almost a trembling, thinking about these deep holes that had been discovered. And then I woke and um, as I was talking to the Lord about it and writing it down, um, I felt him say um, the meaning of the dream was he was saying to me that those who are willing to become fools for Christ are those who will discover the deeper things and they will reveal them to the world leading others into the depths of God those who are going to discover the depths of God that leave us in awe not just us but lead others in awe are going to be those who are willing to become fools for Christ and who knows we're living in a world where we need the fear of the Lord yeah, the fear of the Lord. We need the fear of the Lord to fall upon the nations. Yeah. And in particular here in the West, where, where we've raised ourselves up against God to the point where we have particular days where we call it, we call it, we name it after the sin of Satan who raised himself up against God. Pride. It was the sin of Satan that raised himself up against God. We need the fear of God to fall upon the nations and upon our nation, upon our city, amen? And it's the fools, those who are willing to become fools for Christ. God's going to use them to cause the nations to fear him again. Amen? And today, what I want you to know from this message is God's chosen you. God can use you, and he will. If you're willing to become a fool for him, he will use you to cause the fear of God to fall upon the nations again. Amen? Come on, all right. So, um, it's these people that will lead others into the depths of who God is, living from a deep awareness and awe of who He is. Amen. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Those who are willing to become fools for Christ. They discover the fear of the Lord. Look, get, look how this works. It's unbelievable how it works. They discover the fear of the Lord in becoming fools because they trust not in their own understanding and nor in the understanding of men or human reasoning. Most of the time, they're going directly against what human reasoning would tell you to do, right? So in becoming a fool and looking like a fool in the eyes of the world, we actually step into the fear of the Lord 
And guess what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? True wisdom. So in forsaking human wisdom, I become a fool. I step into the fear of the Lord and I gain heavenly wisdom. True wisdom. Amen? How awesome is that? Those who are willing to become fools for Christ will discover the fear of the Lord, which is actually the beginning of wisdom. In becoming fools, we are actually becoming wise. And God is looking for those who are willing to live by foolish faith in Him. And today, I've titled this message, The Faith of Fools. Because God's calling us to live with the faith of fools, amen? Not fools in His sight, but fools by the standards of the world. By the standards of the world, if we want to go after God, we're going to look like fools. We're going to look foolish. To trust in Him wholeheartedly, we're going to look like absolute fools in the eyes of the world. Just a preface, just to set some expectation for you. You can't trust God. You can't follow Him. You can't live in obedience to Him if you're not willing to become a fool in the eyes of the world. But if you're willing to become a fool in the eyes of the world, God can use you to do great things. Amen? God is ready to reveal Himself to and through those who, by trusting in God wholeheartedly and acting according to His purposes, are willing to become fools by the standards of this world. People who are willing to live by the faith of fools. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Have a listen to what St. Paul says. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Hallelujah. Hey, you know the people who Christ called? The apostles? You know um, the people of the early church? These weren't, these weren't high-end people, high-class high people. These were lowly people, lowly people who by the standards of the world were very foolish, not smart, not the sharpest tool in the shed as we would say, but they were humble enough to trust God, obey him, and God used them to turn the world around. Amen? That's why I say anyone in this room today, if you're willing to give God all of your trust, wholeheartedly trust in him, he will use you. And he'll use you to do great things. Amen. To bring him glory. And in this moment in time, this is what I've written. In this moment in time, I feel God is wanting to confound the wisdom of the wise through those who have made themselves fools by putting their wholehearted trust in him. Demonstrated through radical decisions of faith against all human reason. And I think we live in a city in Melbourne um, I, I've had this um, vision a couple of years ago and I was thinking about the city of Melbourne and we've got so many skyscrapers, yeah? You look at our skyline of the city of Melbourne, we're, we're, we're a highly built city. And I felt the Lord say, hey, Melbourne has raised itself up. It's become wise in its own eyes. And even by the, 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 the um, look of our city, the, the landscape, the buildings... We've become 
tall in our own eyes. But I felt the Lord say, I want to humble the city. I want to humble the city. I believe God is wanting to use those who live by simple but wholehearted faith and trust in God as a prophetic declaration. Proverbs 3 verse 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Be not wise in your own eyes. By human standards, by human standards, become a fool and fear the Lord. Live by his wisdom. Amen? Have faith and trust in him, not in the wisdom of man. And I feel like those people who are willing to become the fools, he's going to cause his wisdom and his favor to fall upon them. Amen? So that they can found the the, um, they can found all earthly understanding and wisdom. And God is raising up people who, because of a faith that defies reason, will cause the world to be in awe of him. And that's the holy fear that we're talking about. They're going to lead people into an awe of God because people are going to be so, they're not going to be able to understand the fact that God's favor and power is working through foolish people. They're just going to be, and this is what happened in the early church. Foolish people being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and doing, and doing unbelievable things, bringing solutions to world problems, bringing healing to terminal diseases. God's power working through foolish people and the world, it says they turned the world upside down because they were like, what is going on here? These foolish people and speaking profound things, speaking things from the unseen realm. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 16. I love the story of Nehemiah. Just to give you some background, Nehemiah is a man. He prays for the city of Jerusalem. God sends him into um, Jerusalem with the favor of a king, so God's already working. He takes only a few families with him, and with the help of a few families, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And we're not talking about, you know, thin walls. We're talking the walls of Jerusalem were um, meters thick. It was a big job after it had come to ruins. Um, and it says in verse 16 of chapter 6, and Nehemiah, this is Nehemiah talking. He's scribing this. And he said, And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. He's talking about the rebuild of the wall, yeah? Because they had completed it. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Now, when Nehemiah talked about rebuilding the walls with a few families, I'm sure people would have thought, you're a fool. You're going to take a few families, you think you're going to get this done. But it says in 52 days with a few family. 52 days. Think about that. Meter thick, meter thick walls. 52 days they accomplished it. And so it was so unbelievable that the enemies around them, the enemy nations around them, began to be terrified because they realized God is with these people. There's no way they could have got that done in 52 days. But Nehemiah, with his faith and the faith of a few families, God used them to do something that was impossible. And that's what happens when we put our faith and our trust in God. The grace of God comes upon our lives. And the grace of God accelerates the work of God in our life. It causes things to happen that we thought could never happen. And he'll take a few people. He'll take four young men and he'll cause them to change the city. He'll cause them to change young men across the whole nation.
And I sense in this room there's people that God is calling to make radical decisions of faith, to trust Him with all of their heart. And you've had a word spoken over your life, something's been spoken over your life, or you've heard a word from the Lord, and it's been in your heart. And for, for reasons, there's many reasons, but for reasons, you've chosen not to step into that. And I believe that the Lord's saying that word has not passed. That word's not passed. And if today you'll trust me, watch what I'll do. If you're willing to become a fool by trusting me, going against the human reason that tells you this is illogical, this is stupid, do not do this. This does not make sense. If you're willing to trust him and say, you know what, it doesn't make sense, God. And I, 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 I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to work, but I know you spoke it. And it was either spoken through a, a man of God or a woman of God, or it was spoken to you directly from him through his word. It was revealed to you in your inner person. But I believe today, if you trust him wholeheartedly, God's grace is going to fall upon you. And he's going to accomplish what he said. He would, you didn't say it. He spoke it. He will accomplish what he spoke. Amen? Come on, who wants to become a fool? Who wants to live by foolish faith? I do. I do. Faith in its most, think about this, faith in its most natural sense is completely absurd by all human standards. Faith in its most natural sense. If we're going to be people of faith, we've got to be willing by, to live by some absurd things, right? Because we're literally living by something that's unseen. We believe in a gospel and a Christ that we have not seen. We've not seen him with our human eyes. And one day we will, praise God. I'm looking forward to the day of seeing Jesus, amen? And looking at him face to face and meeting my Savior. But until that day, man, we are living by something completely absurd. And Paul says this in, the, in his, in his, in his um, epistles. He says, man, the Jews, they're offended by us because we say God is a man who died. And then the Gentiles, which is us, and it's funny that nothing's changed, right? We're the Gentiles, he says, unless there's Jews in this room, sorry. Um, but the Gentiles, he says, the Gentiles are the ones that seek wisdom. Well, nothing's changed, right? They think they're wise. And he said, and to them, this is absolute stupidity. But he says, but to those who God, to those who God has called, we know that Christ is the power and the wisdom of the kingdom. Amen? Yeah? I'm quickly running out of time. But Hebrews 11, chapter 1. Oh, sorry, 11, chapter 1. Wow. Chapter 11, verse 1, um, says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for in the New Living Translation. It is the evidence or proof of things we cannot see. Faith demands that we become the proof of something that has not yet been established in the seen realm. Right? It asks us to live in a way that our actions and our words are evidence of that which not, has not yet moved from the unseen into the seen. That's what faith is. Is that I live in a way that what is, I act and I speak in a way that what is unseen is already a reality. Even though it's not. And so my life looks absurd. 
the decisions I make often look absurd in the eyes of the world because they think, what are you doing? There's, no, there's nothing to support why you're choosing to make that decision. But I'm choosing to live by something that's unseen. That's what faith is, right? And Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And I want to break this down because I believe it's really important for us to understand what this means. We can skim over this verse, but there's so much in this. And I want us today to understand. So I'm going to do my best to break this down. Hearing. So faith comes by hearing. Hearing in the original Greek word is the word akoi. And that word is a better translation of the word is to perceive. It's to perceive. It's to become aware of or conscious of something. Yeah, Be awakened to something. So St. Paul goes on to tell us this type of perception. What we know is that faith, if I want faith, it comes by coming into an awareness of something that's in the unseen realm. Yeah? It actually come, when, I, when I become aware that something's in the unseen realm, that God wants to move into the seen realm, that's faith. That, that's where faith is born. It only comes when I perceive, hey, this is in the unseen realm. Then faith comes upon me to then partner with God and move it into the seen realm. Does that make sense? Yeah? So St. Paul goes on to tell us this type of perception can only come by the word of Christ. And that word is actually rima. So there's two, two, two um, words that are used for the word of God. Number one is logos, which is the word of God. It's this. It's what's been written, right? The, 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 the principles of God. The commandments of God. The commands of Jesus written in this word. Then there's the Rima word, and the Rima word is, is the living word. It's Jesus himself. But the Rima word is evidenced when um, it, comes through, it comes through personal revelation. Yeah? It comes through personal revelation, a personal awakening by way of it being revealed to us personally by Jesus Christ himself. He comes to us and he reveals to us the meaning of something. Yeah? So faith comes from perceiving what is in the unseen, which is revealed to each of us personally in different ways through Jesus. Yeah? So faith comes to us by perceiving what's in the unseen. And what's in the unseen, we only get to perceive that because Jesus says, hey, this is in the unseen. And he personally says to us, hey, I'm telling you, this is what's in heaven. This is what's in the unseen. This is what's in the spirit realm. And the reason I'm telling you so that you'll perceive it, but not just perceive it, but partner with me in faith, in absurd faith that lives as if this thing is already real, to then bring it from unseen into the seen realm. Does that make sense? Yeah? Why do I want us to understand this? Because something happens when Jesus himself comes to us and reveals something that is unseen. I can't explain it to you, but there has been moments when Jesus himself has come to me and revealed something in the unseen and it creates a faith in you that cannot, cannot be shaken. And I want Jesus himself to come and speak to each one of us and reveal to us what is in the unseen. What's he asking you to partner with him in faith to bring from heaven's realm into the earthly realm? Amen? Because there is things that he wants to speak to you about. It's not for no reason that he chooses to give us insight and perception into the unseen. 
He wants to create faith in us so that we will partner with him to move what is unseen into the seen realm. And I love this story of a, um, it's, she's called the Canaanite woman or the Syrophoenician woman. Um, Matthew chapter 15, we'll read through it, verse 21 to 28. And it said, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Give you some context of a Canaanite woman. Why is the Bible specifically mentioning she's a Canaanite woman? The Canaanites were the enemies of Israel, right? The land of Canaan was the land that was promised by God. The Canaanites, basically the Bible saying this lady, her heritage, her ancestors are those that fought against the Israelites. She's, she's excluded from the promise of Abraham. Israel was God's promised people, yeah? He was, he was the people that he made covenant with. And he, he, he promised to bless them. He promised to bless Abraham and his descendants. Now, the Canaanites were not invited into that. It was only the Jews up until this point, right? So it's specific about the fact that this is a Canaanite woman coming to Jesus. A Canaanite woman came from that region, came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and they begged him, saying, Lord, send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. Picture this in your mind. This lady comes, runs, and, and gets on her knees before Jesus. Lord, help me. How desperate is she? And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, how great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Hey, this is faith that God honors. And I'll tell you why this is faith that God, that, that God honors. Why was Jesus amazed by her faith? What faith? Up until this point, as I said, the way, the, the promises of Abraham, the promise of being God's people was only for the Jews. Jesus was the means by which God would open the way for Gentiles, us, all people, to know God and to, and to make God their God and for them to become his people, right? He was opening the blessing to the rest of the world. It hadn't been revealed yet, but there was something that was in the unseen realm that God revealed to this woman. And she said, I'm going to partner with you on this and I'm going to go get it. I'm going to bring what's unseen into the seen realm. And so she comes before God, before Jesus, and she says, Jesus, fully aware, convinced. This is foolish, yeah? She looks like a fool. Firstly, she's a Canaanite woman. They don't associate with Jews and Jews don't associate with them. Secondly, in Jesus' culture in that day, for a woman to disturb a man, let alone a rabbi, a teacher, at his table while he's dining with his disciples would be like out of this world. You just don't do it. It's a big no-no. But she's like, I'm willing to become a fool because I know what I've seen. I know what I've seen. And I'll become a fool. And she becomes a fool. She becomes before Jesus. And look how Jesus even tests her. He says, hey, it's not right to throw what belongs to the children to the dogs. Now, Jesus used a pretty harsh term to... He basically says, you're a dog. But he's, we've got to see his heart behind this. He's, he's wanting to see, are you willing? Are you willing to take hold of what's been revealed to you? 
Yeah? And she is. And she says, what does she say? Just give me one crumb. You give me one crumb. One moment with you, Jesus. One word from you, Jesus. And I know my daughter will be healed. How desperate is she? How awesome is her faith? And that's why Jesus says, how great is your faith? He's amazed. He's like, how great? Guys, he's probably saying to his disciples, disciples, this is it. This is it. This woman has seen that the way for Gentiles has been opened before it's even been opened. And she's going to, and guess what? He honors it. She experiences a blessing that's not for her time. She pulls a blessing that hadn't yet been opened into that moment. And what I'm saying to you is if you will live by faith and foolish faith in God, you will pull things from the heavenly realm that perhaps weren't meant for your time. That perhaps weren't meant to happen during your lifetime. Amen? So good. God honors her faith and he heals her daughter. Jesus honors her faith. And God's here to honor your faith. You say to him, if you will say to him today, I'll trust you. I'll wholeheartedly trust you. He's going to honor your faith. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. I've got to finish soon. It says, from the, this is Jesus' words. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What's he saying? He's saying those who live with an aggressive, violent faith. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, going to the streets and violently punching someone and saying, receive the kingdom. We're talking about faith. He's, he's, the image is someone pressing through a barrier. Someone pressing through a barrier, through a spiritual barrier, and, and pulling from what's in the unseen into the seen realm, aggressively taking hold of it. That's who the kingdom of heaven is going to be taken by. Amen? It's those people with aggressive faith, foolish faith. They make aggressive they make, they make violent decisions. What, they, they cause violence to their own image. They cause violence to their own souls at times because they go against what their, even their heart is telling them to do, what their emotions might be telling them to do. They might be feeling, I'm afraid to do this, but they cause violence to their own soul in saying, I'm afraid to do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. And I'm going to say it anyways. So it's violent. It's a violent act, yeah? It causes violence. It, it may be in the status quo in tradition, in religious circles, they're the people that like shake up the ground. People are unsettled around them. They're uncomfortable. They're like, oh, too much. Too much. Lord, may I be the one who's too much. Too much because I cho chose to trust in you so much. Amen. I want to read the story of Elijah. We're not going to get there. We're not going to get there. Go home and read the story of Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 18. God causes fire to fall on the sacrifice. But Elijah does this. He's so trusting God. You know, when you live by foolish faith, it produces this confidence in God. That's, it, it comes across as arrogance. And many people mistake confident trust in God as arrogance. And we've got to not make that mistake, all right? 
when someone trusts in God that they're so confident in God that God will use them because they're walking in obedience to Him, know that it's, the confidence comes from trusting in God, not because they're an arrogant person. We, we actually need more people to walk in that way who know they're sons of God. They know they're children of God. And they know God will honor them because they have faith in Him. And they're not afraid to say that. And they're not afraid to say, you know, David, when Saul chased after him, Saul, King Saul was um, um, in pursuit of him, wanted to kill him. And, and it says that um, he had a chance to kill Saul. He um, cuts off a piece of his garment while, while King Saul is going to the toilet in the cave. David's hiding in there, he cuts it off, he walks out. He lets him go a bit further. He, says, he cries out to him, King Saul, he turns around. He says, look, I had the opportunity to kill you today, but I chose not to. I chose to honor the Lord because you're, you're the Lord's servant. I chose to honor him today. And King Saul say, says all this stuff, and David's confidence is like, you don't have to worry about me. The Lord's going to honor me. The Lord will reward my faith because I chose to trust him. Instead of trusting my own wisdom. And he had people in that cave saying to him, God's, God delivered this guy into your hands, man. Your enemy, he's in your hands. Thrust a spear through him. Get rid of him. Get rid of this. And, and David had been promised to be king too. So he had two reasons. First, he was be, being, Saul was in hot pursuit of him, trying to kill him. Secondly, he was promised the throne that King Saul had as king of Israel. Two reasons. And he had men there saying, hey man, this is God. This is God. God set this up. Kill him. Get rid of him. Take the throne. Be free of his pursuit of you. But he says, no, far be it from me to touch the, the Lord's servant. He trusts in God. But because of that trust in God, he actually says, the Lord's going to honor me. And we need more people that have that holy confidence, yeah? And Elijah is the same. He builds this altar and, 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 he, and he, he says, pour water on it, on the sacrifice, over the altar. And then he says, hey, actually, you know what? Let's go one step extra. Build a trench around the altar. And they, they dig a trench around the altar. And he says, go fill it with water. Fills it with water. The whole thing's drenched. And then he says, he calls upon the name of the Lord. And fire comes from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, the altar. And it said it licks up all of the water that's in the trench. As, as God demonstrating himself as the true God, amen? But Elijah lived by this holy confidence. He lived by this holy confidence that God's gonna honor. God's gonna honor. And so much so that he's like, you know what? I'm gonna give God an extra challenge here. And you know what? God loves faith that pushes him, that causes, calls him to account on his word, right? God's not afraid of a challenge. He can do all things. He can do all things. What if we became people who began to live in a way that we were like Elijah? We went the extra mile to say, hey, I know God's going to prove himself here. I trust God that much. He's going to prove himself here. Amen? Come on, who wants to live with the faith of fools? Let's stand to our feet.